Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to a Friday edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. I am Bruce Hooley. Glad to have you along. And we will talk about Michigan State and Ohio State, about the Browns and the Lions, a little bit more Ohio and Michigan for you, and the Bengals' trip to Las Vegas, as well as a strange occurrence, a bit of bad karma. How else to explain what happened in Cleveland, Ohio today? No, not to the Cavs, Indians, or Browns, but to the sign on the Cleveland Guardians team shop. Yes! All of that and more as we get you ready for the weekend. Should be a consequential weekend. A little high school football, too, so thank you for joining us. And... Reminder that Willis Spangler Starling, attorney firm of choice for the We Tackle Life podcast, located on Truman Boulevard in Hilliard. Check them out, willisattorneys.com. Willisattorneys.com. They'll do a phenomenal job for your cases, whether they involve wills, estate planning, personal injury, probate, you name it, they can do it. They'll do it great, and they may even do it for you with a free consultation or on a contingency basis. You won't know until you get a hold of my friends at Willis Spangler Starling. WillisAttorneys.com. That is WillisAttorneys.com. Okay, let's start with that little nugget from Cleveland. They opened the Guardians team shop today, and this feels weird to me that they were putting the sign up over the shop while people were inside or getting ready to go inside and shop, and the sign fell and busted into not a thousand pieces, but a fair amount of pieces on the ground. Uh, we'll see if uh, that is a harbinger of things to come for the Cleveland Guardians, but the sign, uh, the shop is signless at this point in time, and no fans were injured in the making of this odd occurrence at the Guardians team shop in Cleveland today. All right, now let's switch our attention to Ohio State and Michigan State. They will kick it off just afternoon tomorrow. Gus Johnson, Joel Klatt get the full Buckeye homer treatment, I am sure. Although if Michigan State wins the game, Gus and Joel are never averse to uh, letting you know how they love Sparty all along and thought that Sparty could give the Buckeyes a game. I think Michigan State will score some. I see projections like 45-35 and you know, maybe 35-28. I'm not sure Michigan State's going to score that much. I don't think four touchdowns for Michigan State. Not seeing it. So I'm going to say my prediction, given how bad Michigan State's secondary is, given the fact that Ohio State is on full alert and knows that I think they have a very good chance to clinch the Big Ten East with a win tomorrow. Why do I say that? Yes, I know they play Michigan the following week. I do not think that Michigan at Maryland is nearly as certain an outcome as a lot of other people do. So I would say I give the Buckeyes about a 35% chance of already being in possession of the Big Ten East title and a berth in the Big Ten title game after tomorrow at Ohio Stadium, where I expect Ohio State to win that game 48-17. to 17, 48 to 17, I'm going to say. Probably low on the Michigan State end, maybe a tad high on the Ohio State end, maybe 41 to 20. Might be better, 41 to 20, somewhere in that neighborhood. Ohio State will win the game. Michigan State secondary, as I said, is not very good. That is not usually the case. Michigan State typically has a very good secondary. They're thin in the secondary. They've not played well. And Michigan threw a bunch of yards uh, against them, threw for a bunch of yards against them. Uh, this just in, C.J. Stroud, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jeremy Ruckert, Jackson Smith and Jigba, 
on and on and on better than Cade McNamara and whoever Michigan has at wide receiver with Ronnie Bell out. So that's why I think Ohio State will run it down uh, the Spartans' throat on the scoreboard, if not on the field. Travion Henderson may be freed by some of Ohio State's success in the passing game. But I would think Ohio State will attack that Michigan State secondary, and they will attack it effectively. Buckeyes will easily win the game. It will not be in doubt in the fourth quarter. Maybe at halftime, but not in the fourth quarter. Similarly, I would expect the Browns and Lions game uh, Sunday in Cleveland to go the same way. Sorry uh, to my friend Chris Spielman. I know your Lions are smoking red hot coming off their first non-loss of the season against the Pittsburgh Steelers. But wasn't a win. It was just a non-loss. It was a tie. But the Lions uh, today practiced without Jared Goff, their quarterback. Now, I know Jared Goff's QBR, which is the rating for quarterbacks, is the worst among starting quarterbacks in the National Football League. 27.3 QBR. Wow, that is bad. I don't know if I've ever seen one that bad halfway through a season. But Jared Goff is hurt in the aftermath. His oblique injury from the Steeler tie apparently is going to keep him off the field. He said he could, he'll could. he go if he can go. He's not practicing on Friday. Mm, I mean, he's an experienced veteran. I suppose he could still go Sunday. But it looks like the immortal Tim Boyle will get his first start for the Detroit Lions, the Honolulu Blue, coming into Cleveland. So it's uh, all starting quarterbacks are banged up, or as the great Hayden Fry used to say, boogered up. And Baker Mayfield has, wow, let's count them up, left foot, right knee, torn labrum in his left shoulder. So Baker Mayfield said he could not feel his knee at points in the Browns' loss to the New England Patriots, but he's game to get back out there and go. I would not play him. I would play Case Keenum. I would win this game just like they won it on Monday night, or was that Thursday night? I forget. It was a primetime game against the Denver Broncos. But Brownies are apparently determined to play Baker Mayfield. Maybe they want Baker Mayfield to look good against the Lions, so everybody will stop asking, is Baker Mayfield worthy of a contract extension? I don't know, but I wouldn't play him. I would let Case Keenum take it. And then, of course, the danger is Case Keenum plays lights out, and everybody's like, start him! Sit Baker! You know how Browns fans are. That's how fans are everywhere. It's not just a factor of Browns fans. It's a factor of fans everywhere. And whoever the quarterback is for Cleveland will benefit from the fact that they will have Nick Chubb activated off the COVID list. Nick Chubb loaded, locked, and ready to go for the Cleveland Browns on Sunday. As for your Cincinnati Bengals, they are on the road at the Las Vegas Raiders. And we have an interesting question to pursue about the Bengals and quarterback Joe Burrow after I remind you that you should right now be pursuing the possibility that your health insurance is inadequate either for you as an individual for you as a family or for you as a business owner as it relates to your employees individuals you have until December the 15th to change your health insurance it's the only chance you will get for the next year that is because for whatever reason businesses can always change plans but individuals cannot Open enrollment happens during uh, November 15th to December 15th. And so uh, that is what your option is as it regards your health insurance. So get it done today. Don't be like me. Don't wait till the end and go, "Ah, I got another week. Ah, I got two more weeks. Then those weeks go by and you're like, oh, it's the last day. AUIinfo.com, free site, AUIinfo.com. Don't mess around. Find out now. Business owners, they can take care of you. Put a plan together for you and your employees. AUI. 
info.com. Okay, Bengals at Vegas. Joe Burrow's interceptions. Very curious. He's not an interception thrower. At least he was not last year. 1.2% of his passes, attempts, were intercepted last year in an abbreviated year loss to injury, ACL, near the end of the year. That was exceedingly low for a rookie. Now, Joe Burrow's interception rate is 3.8%, which you say, well, that's not very much, Bruce. That's like four times higher than his interception rate a year ago. Three and a half times higher. The only two quarterbacks whose interception percentage is worse than Joe Burrow's are Justin Fields and Zach Wilson, two rookies. Well, you can sort of go, wait a second, Joe Burrow kind of is a rookie. He's basically played just over one season. But here's the thing with Burrow. You can't turn it over, first of all. I'm not excusing interceptions. But his 20 touchdown passes are tied for fourth in the NFL. And his rate of off-target throws, and all this stuff's charted by Pro Football Focus. They're super into the analytics, but it's a useful stat. What percentage of his throws are off-target, not optimally where they're supposed to be? 10.8% is the number. Now, I thought 10.8% seems like a lot. It's actually the lowest off-target throw percentage in the NFL. So why is Joe Burrow's interception rate high? Clearly, he believes he can get it into any tight window. If there's a small, small, small space for the ball, Burrow's accuracy, he's saying, hey, I can get it in there. Well, not so much against the Cleveland Browns. And what other game did he throw? Like four picks or three picks on three attempts this year. So he's got to knock that off. Chances are he will knock it off against the Raiders because the Raiders are 25th out of 32 teams in the NFL when it comes to interceptions. So not a team that intercepts a bunch. Burrow, I think, with an off week to sort of process, look at tape, will have a better performance. And I would think the Bengals would win this game in Vegas, although it's not going to be a cakewalk. The Raiders have a lot of upheaval with John Gruden gone and still in the Henry Ruggs situation. But I think I like the Bengals in this game. I know you know I like Hemisphere Coffee Roasters as the place where you will get the best coffee you ever tasted. 15% off when you use the promo code WETACKLELIFE. 15% off when you use the promo code WETACKLELIFE. Have it shipped right to your door. Free shipping on orders of $30 or more. Hemisphere Coffee Roasters coffee from Nicaragua, Thailand, Indonesia, Ethiopia, other countries around the world. They do a lot of great things. They're engaged in ministry in those areas, but more by pumping money into the local economy by buying great coffee. And Paul is an extremely discerning, which is a nice way of saying finicky, buyer when it comes to coffee. He does not buy bad coffee. He buys great coffee and makes it available to you. So check it out, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. 15% off when you use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. That's WETACKLELIFE. All right, now we switch to the rest of the college football Saturday. Pretty good Saturday. Ohio State kicks it off against Michigan State at noon. 3.30 games, Michigan at Maryland. I've already talked about Michigan. I do not believe Michigan is out of the woods in that particular game. At 3.30 as well, SMU against Cincinnati. SMU against Cincinnati. Now, SMU is not ranked. But if SMU were in the Big Ten, the Big Eight, Big 12 rather, 
any league, any Power 5 league, SMU would be ranked. You say, well, they might not be 8-2. and two. Well, they might not be. But they might be because there are average teams who have good records in Power 5 conferences at this stage of the season, and you're going to see one of them on Saturday in Michigan State. I think Michigan is another. I said Penn State was another. I think time has proven that I was correct on that. SMU is 8-2. and two. They're at Cincinnati. Cincinnati needs to win and win impressively because, you know, they're graded on a different standard. I've covered that before. Common opponent, Central Florida, supposedly a pretty good program in the AAC. SMU beat Central Florida 55-28. to Cincinnati beat Central Florida 56-21. to You can't tell that the teams are even based on that, but it would suggest that there is the possibility, a reasonable possibility, that SMU and Cincinnati are pretty even. So keep your eye on that one as Luke Fickle and the Cincinnati Bearcats try to stay unbeaten and try to get into the top four of the college football playoff rankings. I really think they're only an Oregon loss away from getting into the top four of the college football playoff rankings now that Oklahoma lost. I don't think there's going to be a groundswell for a one-loss Oklahoma over an undefeated Cincinnati. There will be a groundswell for a one-loss Ohio State over a undefeated Cincinnati. Should Oregon continue to stay in front of Ohio State? And honestly, it's kind of hard for me to say Oregon shouldn't be in front of Ohio State. You know, you say, well, the look test. Well, they played each other. They played each other in Columbus. They didn't have Kayvon Thibodeau, and they won. So you say, well, now they don't have uh, C.J. Verdell, the guy who you know torched Ohio State that day. No, they still have Travis Dye. They're still a pretty good team, and Anthony Brown's taken up some of the slack running the football for Oregon. So hard for me to say that Ohio State deserves to be in over Oregon. Ohio State deserves to be in over Cincinnati. Eh, that I'll listen to. But Oregon loses, and Oregon might. They play Saturday night at Utah. Ranked team. 23rd, Utah, Kyle Whittingham, Utah, not having a typical Kyle Whittingham in Utah year. But at home against Oregon, that place will be crazy. At altitude, Oregon's on notice. No excuses if they don't go in there and win the game. The other headline game is a 3.30 p.m. game. I think it's 3.30. Maybe it's uh, 7.30. But it is Alabama playing host to Arkansas. Arkansas is ranked 21st. Bama, of course, is ranked second. I do not expect Bama to lose this game. If it was on the road at Fayetteville, maybe. It is a 3.30 p.m. kick. Arkansas against Bama. But it wouldn't surprise me if that's a close game at halftime. So that's what I have for you on the sports side of the ledger today. Let's transition now into the faith uh, faith side of the ledger. And let me, let me mention a couple more things. Uh, high school football... And this is not a, an expressly high school football story. You guys know, if you've been paying attention, that I am writing some high school football and some Ohio State basketball. Oh, we got to talk about Ohio State basketball against Xavier. Oh, how deplorable. Anyway, I've been writing some Ohio State basketball and some high school football for PressProsMagazine.com. P-R-E-S-S-P-R-O-S Magazine. PressProsMagazine.com. The Ohio State Xavier game is on that site. If you don't see it on the front page, click on the OSU page. Tonight, we will be covering Arlington and Pick Central in the D1 football regionals. We'll be covering Marysville, Gabe Powers, Ohio State recruit, 
and Springfield in the D1 football regionals, and I'll be covering Piqua in the D2 football regionals against Cincinnati Winton Woods. Now, that assignment a week ago sent me to Bellbrook, Ohio, to cover Piqua against Trenton Edgewood. And in the course of covering that game, I observed something about the dynamic between the Piqua head football coach, a gentleman by the name of Bill Neese, and his players. I wrote about what I saw in a column that's on the front page of PressProsMagazine.com today. It is not about Piqua football. It is not about football. It is not about winning. It is about leadership and the signs of leadership that you can see in a high school program when it is expertly coached and the culture is developed to an elite degree. So I would invite you to go and read that column. I would love to hear your feedback on it. We tackle life at gmail.com. We tackle life at gmail.com. But I'm 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 desirous of you to read it because I really feel like it's an important thing for parents and coaches to know. Coaches who don't understand what they lose by not being the kind of coach that Bill Neese is, by not being the kind of coach. And again, I'm not talking about winning. I'm talking about serving, getting the most out of your players because you put the most into them. That's what the column is about. I would love to hear your comments on it. It's at press, P-R-E-S-S, pros, P-R-O-S, magazine.com, press, pros, magazine.com. All right, now to Ohio State and Xavier basketball. Oh, what a frustrating game to watch. Okay, first of all, I never got why fans hate Bo Borowski, the official, as much as they hate hate Ed, Ted Valentine. I'm starting to get it. Bo Borowski, he suffers, suffers from whistle overload. Like, the man has to make every call in a game, except calls that are obviously fouls against Xavier under the basket, which Jack Nungy of Iowa apparently was allowed to do whatever he wanted. I did not know that we had any special dispensation for Jack Nungy, formerly of Iowa, now of Xavier, to do whatever he doggone well pleased under the basket the other night. Reaching around E.J. Liddell, fouling guys with a body, on and on and on. Bo Borowski also sees things that he thinks might be there that he cannot possibly know are there calling fouls on the other side of contact, on the other side of looking through bodies. So unless Bo Borowski is blessed with X-ray vision that ceases to be X-ray vision when it looks through the first series of players to the players who he is seeing do things that he would not be able to see if he had X-ray vision because he would see through them too, then that's my issue with Bo Borowski. But all that said, Ohio State did not lose the game because of officiating. They lost the game because they're soft. And I hate soft basketball. This team had better toughen up quick because it's going to play Seton Hall and then Florida or Cal and then Duke. And if it decides to just sort of saunter through the game, they're going to take a big-time knock on the head here in the non-conference. I do not blame this on Chris Holtman because they have kind of a psychological 
thing going on right now where they're trying to adjust to Justice suing not being on the team. And I was actually surprised the other night after the win over Bowling Green when Chris Holtman spoke so, I would say, pessimistically about Ohio State's abilities to weather the loss of Justice Suing to his groin injury, if in fact that is the case. I think Justice Suing's a nice player. I don't think he's the straw that stirs the drink. Can he do things that other guys can't do? Yes. He's a more complete player than Gene Brown. He's a more complete player than Justin Arns. But he's not a first-team All-League player. He's not a second-team All-League player. He might be a second-team All-League player. But you got to play with who you have. And they have plenty. But you saw a couple things the other night against Xavier. Number one, you saw that there are some games that Justin Arns just does not fit in. And that was one of them. He's a valuable asset to have because he can space the floor. But depending on how teams defend, if they're not going to leave Justin Arns occasionally and give him an open shot, and he's not able to make those shots and make you pay, then he can't be out there because defensively, Xavier went at him, at him hard, and disadvantaged him numerous times. That's not a surprise when Justin Arns gets taken advantage of on defense. It is a surprise when Jamari Wheeler... Our transfer from Penn State, who is here expressly because Ohio State's coaches fell in love with his defense when he was playing for Penn State, it is not good when Jamari Wheeler gets beaten like a rented mule on defense all night. And he did. And that is not something that Ohio State counted on or that can continue. Because if it does continue, then Jamari Wheeler has no reason to be on that floor at the expense of Michi Johnson. Michi is younger. Michi has a much higher upside. Michi plays just as hard, and he can learn whatever it is that Jamari Wheeler already knows because if somebody's going to get beat on defense, I'd much rather it be Michi and put another scorer out there because Jamari Wheeler is not a scorer. So I'm not down on him, but he didn't play very well the other night, and he's a senior, and they don't have time for him not to play well. So he's got to pick it up. Zed Key, difficult. The thing I noticed in the middle of that game was that as much as we've heard about E.J. Liddell playing a four spot, Ohio State's a lot more comfortable with E.J. Liddell playing a five spot. Kyle Young can kind of float around. He's kind of a four and a half. Sometimes he's a power forward, low post power forward. Sometimes he's a low post five. E.J. Liddell was playing a five a lot in that game. And then they went to Zed Key, and Zed was actually pretty effective. But I don't love E.J. Liddell out there taking threes as much as he did early in the game against Xavier. I like him parked there on the low post. I get it. You want to develop your NBA skills. You want to show him you're an NBA player. I need you to win the game first. So that'll be an interesting thing that'll bear watching in terms of where does EJ Liddell fit and is he happy fitting there if Ohio State needs him more in the front court, or excuse me, in the, in the low post to win a basketball game. Uh, I've never liked Xavier, and I like him less now that they beat Ohio State. I didn't care for their coach's comments after the game that he knew they were the better team, and they showed that tonight. Yeah, right. See you in March, Travis Steele. Be happy to see you in March. Okay, now to the faith portion of the podcast. In the course of writing this column that I just advocated that you read and respond to via feedback— on PressProsMagazine.com about pickle football coach Bill Neese and the way he um, demonstrates leadership in his program. 
I enjoyed writing that. I enjoyed writing it because as you read it, you'll see that I disclosed some personal experiences in there. And I really wrote that in the hopes that those coaches who are getting it right will be more deeply appreciated by parents and other fans of players who may take for granted, oh, we got a great coach. Oh, he's, you know, great with the kids. Please don't take that for granted. As you read the column, you'll see why I say that. But it occurred to me that my perspective on coaches as leaders has been greatly enhanced over the last three years. And the reason why it's been greatly enhanced has nothing to do or very little to do with me. And it has a great deal to do with um, three very selfless men. Uh, My friends, Patrick, Ford, and Matt. Um, Ford is Ford Taylor. Ford is the... um, divinely inspired, wonderful, wonderful disciple of Christ who has been gifted with the insight to birth a leadership training program called Transformational Leadership. No leadership program has ever been better named than Transformational Leadership because it is truly, has truly been transformational in my life. Thanks to Matt and Patrick, who have walked it out with me, mentored me, and hopefully increased my capacity to do the same for other people. I understand leadership. I recognize leadership now in a way that I never could have before. And I met Matt first, and Matt introduced me to Ford's program, Transformational Leadership, in the aftermath of losing my uh, position at 105.7 The Zone when Spiels and I were doing sports talk radio together. The station was underachieving. Chris and I weren't, but the station was. And so they changed the format to eliminate our salaries. We were largely the only two, well, there's one other employee, Stan Jackson, who completely lost their gig at the station there. The other people, thankfully, I was really glad of this, were absorbed into other avenues at iHeart. But Chris and I were just too expensive to continue to try to find another spot for us. I understood it. There were no hard feelings over it. There are no hard feelings over it to this day. But at the time, it just was a blow. Like I'm, you know, in my 50s, how am I going to provide for my family? That kind of thing. And so I wanted to take the time that I had while I was getting a severance for a few months to grow personally and transformational leadership and digging deeper into the Bible were ways that I invested my time and transformational leadership, as I said, is a divinely inspired leadership program. Ford Taylor marries it to scriptural principles, but it can also be taught through a lens without the scriptural backing. doesn't change what the backing is, but it can just be able to um, help people who don't want to prioritize something on the basis of its, of its foundation in biblical truth. 
as I wrote this story today that I am happy with, that I want to share with you and I want to share with others, it struck me that something great, my exposure, not just to Matt and Patrick and Ford, not just to the principles of TL, but to so many other people that I know and call friends and have learned from who are also uh, TL students, TO, TL uh, believers, <laughs> TL disciples, TL followers, I could literally write a list of 20 people who would be there for me in the most difficult of circumstances because they have a servant's heart and they have a servant's heart because of TL and they would apply that servant's heart to me because we shared very deeply through our TL experience. So I just wanted to tell you that this is yet another demonstration to me that God is ready to show us the depth of his love in ways we cannot anticipate, even in the midst of a circumstance that feels like it's really bad. I lost my job. How am I going to provide for my family? I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, now in hindsight, as I shared with you a couple weeks ago, every good thing I've ever gained from a spiritual maturity perspective came from a circumstance that if I could have ahead of time, I would have chosen to avoid. Hey, Bruce, would you like to go to work today and have them end your job? No, thank you. I'd rather keep my job. But had I kept my job, I would not have found TL. I would not have found Matt. I would not have found Patrick, or they would not have found me. I would not have found Ford. I would not have found so many other friends. I would not have the perspective on leadership that I have. And the column that I wrote today that I hope helps either a coach get affirmed by a parent who didn't before realize how great of a coach they were or a parent who realize, or an athletic director realizes this is the kind of coach I need to hire and the investment that coach makes in the future in those players. I don't know what good can result from this column that I wrote today, but I believe strongly that good can result from it. And I also know that it wouldn't have happened unless something that I would have labeled bad and would have chosen to avoid had happened a long time ago. And it also wouldn't have happened unless God had prepared people's hearts to respond to me at a time where I was hurting and needed to be lifted, needed to be comforted, needed to be challenged, needed to be guided, needed to be coached. And so you may be in the midst of a circumstance right now that is unfair, that is painful, that is mystifying, that is tormenting you. I'm a walking example of the fact that in that storm, I firmly believe God will provide a way out if you seek him and if you devote yourself to knowing him. Isaiah 66 says, this is whom I esteem. He who is gentle and humble in heart, and you have to be humble to serve others. You have to be humble to suffer bad things and not rebel. He who is gentle and humble in heart and trembles at my word. Immerse yourself in the word of God. Tremble at it. Esteem it. Extol it. Believe it. It is there for you. It can literally change your life every time you pick it up. 
And he will show you that while you may feel abandoned, you definitely are not alone. With that, I bid you a wonderful Friday. I hope it is a wonderful Friday. I hope that you uh, enjoy your weekend. Um, I have a football game to cover tonight. I wish, I love covering football. I love seeing young people pursue their goals. I would love to not have it tonight because my daughter is resuming her basketball career tonight and I would love to see her play. But I will see her play on Monday and that is when I will talk to you again here on the We Tackle Life podcast.